Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hello, hello, hello. Now, just eight days before the Prime Minister and his advisors partied in the Grand Gardens of Number 10 Downing Street, a 45 year old homeless man was hauled before the courts for violating lockdown restrictions. He'd been arrested at Liverpool Street Station. There are other egregious examples. I don't know, the carer in Somerset, who, after looking after one of her clients, made the cardinal sin of having a sandwich in her car in a beauty spot. She was fined £200, reduced to tears, unsurprisingly. Applauded by politicians amongst them, from doorsteps, balconies, for her great sacrifice, underpaid like carers tend to be, and then fined £200 for having a sandwich. All in all, more than 100,000 fines have been handed out to people in England alone for an assortment of offences, not wearing a face covering, to mixing with people outside of, of your bubble. Needless to say, these fines were not evenly distributed. Black people up to seven times more likely to be fined by the police for lockdown breaches than white people. Of the total number fined, 371 have been slapped with the maximum fine of £10,000. What for? Wait for it. Hosting gatherings of more than 30 people. Now that sum of money, £10,000, if you're earning something like, let's just pluck a random figure out of the ether, shall we? Just as a little experiment. If it was, say, £161,401, your salary, the Prime Minister's salary, by the way, that's nothing. You can afford that. But for most people in a country, of course, where two-thirds of the UK population carry personal debt, 10000 quid is financially ruinous. Now, what do we know? We know that the Prime Minister broke the very rules, the laws that he and his own government imposed on the rest of the population to protect us from a virus which, thanks to the government's mismanagement, has killed well over 150,000 of our fellow citizens. But the way, as, as in the great tradition of the British state, those laws have been implemented, same with the war on drugs, same with the way the state clamps down on benefit fraud but allows so many legal loopholes for people to exploit at the top of society if they wish to avoid tax, for example. The state cracks down on its traditional marginalised communities, poor, working class, people of colour, whilst, as we see here, those at the top have been allowed to behave with utter impunity, having parties while so many others have suffered. Now, we're going to talk about this at great length, but what I want to do first is I'm going to bring, we've got Ellie Mayo-Hagan, the director of class and a very good friend of mine, to talk this through. I'm 
going to, just before I bring in Ellie as well, just a bit later on, just go through some, because we're being gaslit, we're being lied to by the Prime Minister. Astonishing. So it's very clear that we're, we, we have clarity about the facts. But what we're going to do first is we're going to bring in Jolyon Moore, who is from the Good Law Project, who we're very honoured to have joining us. Here he is. I can see him here. Uh, let's bring him in. Hey, Jolyon, how are you doing, mate? Hi. I'm very good, thank you. It's been a long day. I've just escaped from parents' evening. Of course, doing your doting fatherly duties. Very I am a very doting father. It's almost tragic, but but it's true. Now, Jolyon, we're going to talk, I'm going to talk later on with Ali about just wider stuff. There's a couple of specific things with your precious time that I want to talk to you about. Now, I think I think one rule I think I would very much advise people to abide by is do not piss on the chips of the Good Law Project because now I mean if the, it, the, the government I would say not to get too graphic have clearly soaked the uh, the chips of the Good Law Project with bodily fluids. Let's just leave it there. What? What's just let's just let's just see what's happened in terms of what the Good Law Project. This huge win, and this is what we're going to talk about with Ellie. I'm going to talk about the party and like, the huge fury and anger across the country. But even though it's understandable that people are more angry about Partygate, I think in a in a very real sense, this is a bigger scandal because this is about the corruption of the British state. So the High Court's just found the government PP VIP lane for politically connected supplies was unlawful. Once again, another win for the Good Law Project. They must hate you by this point. Just explain what was the case and what's been found. So in October, um, we uncovered the existence of a VIP lane. Uh, We were leaked some private government documents, which we published. Uh, We couldn't get any of the media, actually, to pick them up. Everyone was so... um, startled uh, at what the documents seemed to show, which was the institutionalisation of a special regime uh, that applied to those who the National Audit Office found were overwhelmingly referred by the offices of ministers. Um, Putting it um, more briefly, if you were an associate of a minister, and you might be an associate of a minister because you're a pal or you're a donor, um, or you have shared business interests, you get you got put into a special lane uh, and you got um, treated differently. Uh, and what the National Audit Office um, later went on to find was that you were much more than 10 times more likely to win a, a PPE contract. So we, we found this stuff in October 2020. We published it. We couldn't get anyone to pick it up because it just was um, astonishing then to the media that uh, there would be a kind of institutionalization of um, party privilege in the handing out of um, substantial sums of money. I mean, very, very substantial sums of money. So Private Eye, I think, have indicated that, uh, and that, I, they've seen materials, I haven't seen materials, that, that on one transaction, it's something like 80 million quid of profit was made. Um, by, and this was a transaction through the VIP lane. Um, We were pretty startled by this. Uh, We brought a series of procurement cases, um, some of which are still working their way through the courts. But what the court held yesterday was that the VIP lane was not only immoral, not only unethical, 
but also um, illegal. Uh, and uh, we um, see that as being a vindication of a very long uh, campaign uh, that Criminal Project has fought, both in the public domain and in the courts. Is this corruption? Um, corruption is a funny word, actually. It doesn't really have a, to a lawyer, it doesn't really have a term of art meaning. I think I would say that corruption is whenever a public servant allows private interests to interfere with her um, or with his um, exercise of their duties as a public servant. Um, looked in that way, bearing in mind that the architects of the VIP lane uh, gave unfair advantage to uh, those referred into the lane by, um, overwhelmingly by uh, the officers of Conservative Party ministers, I think it, 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 it can be described as corruption, meeting that definition. I mean, there's another way to look at it as well, which is that um, the National Auto Office also identified uh, that there was a, and here I quote, a high risk of fraud in PPE pandemic um, procurement. Um, I mean, there's a VIP lane we uncovered for PPE and £12.5 billion was spent on PPE, albeit not all through the VIP lane. There's also um, a VIP lane for test and trace and um, £37 billion was spent um, on uh, the test and trace debacle. So that's a total of 50 billion quid, two VIP lanes. We don't know how much of that 50 went through the VIP lanes, but it will have been um, in the high single or double digit billions. Very, very substantial sums of money have been spent in a way that prefers um, associates of the Conservative Party. And, you know, I think that's, that is quite staggering stuff. I mean, the, the reality of the situation is this, really. Um, one of the reasons why we have uh, elaborate processes around the spending of vast sums of public money is because um, human nature is what it is. Uh, and when vast sums of public money that can, to some people, feel ownerless, in other words, if I get some of it, um, it doesn't come out of anyone's pocket, so it's not really stealing. When vast sums of public money are flying around, um, you need a careful process to secure that it goes, or at least it has the highest chances possible of going to the right place. In a pandemic, inevitably, um, you cut the process to achieve speed. You decide that speed is more important than um, protecting against fraud. Uh, and fraud is inevitable. And I think all of that is true. Um, but what's really shocking to me about what's happened in the UK is that although um, several bodies in government have said that there is, well, one says there's a high risk of fraud, the other said they couldn't rule out um, fraud in PPE procurement, nobody has bothered to look. No one has um, thought to ask the question, uh, no one in authority at any rate, um, whether prosecutions should be brought. So, you know, there's, 
There's fraud in Germany, there's fraud in the States, there's fraud in Italy around pandemic procurement fraud is what happens when you put aside those safeguards. But as far as I'm aware, um, it's only in the UK where um, our establishment um, has turned a blind eye. I mean, in a funny way, um, that's the thread that draws together the two big stories of yesterday. Uh, the Met turning a blind eye to the criminality, uh, as I also see it, of the Prime Minister, uh, and the establishment turning a blind eye to uh, criminality in the procurement of pandemic PPE. That's the other thing I wanted to ask you about the police. I mean, just quickly on what you said about a, a PPE crisis, never again should any government treat a public health crisis as an opportunity to enrich its associates and donors at public expense, which of course is exactly what's happened. Whatever people label that, that is a very succinct and damning description of what's happened. That's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. So not not long before we start this conversation, the Metropolitan Police have issued a statement, uh, which essentially <laughs> makes it clear that they don't think there's enough evidence. They don't think there's enough evidence. <laughs> Sorry, I just need to compose myself. They don't think there's enough evidence to, to investigate whether the Prime Minister has broken the rules when the Prime Minister obviously made a statement, which, however gas-lit he thinks the nation is, makes it clear he broke the rules and his officials broke the rules. Now, the Metropolitan Police, I mean, why should they have known what was happening in Number 10 Downing Street? It's not like they've got several police officers parked there. As I noted before I started speaking to you, the, the police could be pretty zealous overzealous with how they enforce lockdown rules. The Crown Prosecution Service found three in 10 cases had been incorrectly charged. They charged homeless people. They charged children, which was actually against the law. Now, given they were disproportionately, again, black people up to seven times more likely to be fined. So they went for some of the communities, let's be honest, who were traditionally over-policed and harassed by the justice system. And yet, there's no evidence, they say, to investigate not just one party, not two, multiple parties, including the Prime Minister. What the hell is going on? How is this possible? And what action did the Good Law Project taken? Yeah, there's a kind of fantasy ache uh, to um, uh, the end of 2020 if you're lucky enough to be working in Downing Street. They seem to have had more parties during lockdown um, than most of us get to go to in a normal year. Um, what on earth were they doing? How did they find time to manage the pandemic? Maybe they weren't managing the pandemic. I mean, the Met's position is quite extraordinary because all of the facts that we need to determine whether or not uh, a crime was committed um, on the 20th of May party are now in the public domain. Prime Minister's admitted he was there. Um, we know that about 30 people were there. Uh, we know that it was a bring your own booze occasion, trestle tables heaving with food. Um, the only question is a question of law. Does that amount to a criminal offence? And um, I haven't looked at the legislation, but people who have um, seem to be unequivocally of the view that that is the Commission of Criminal Offence. But there's no deficiency of evidence. The only question really is one of legal analysis of the, the evidence. Um, so I scratch my head at that. 
I also scratch my head at the notion which seems to um, have crept into the Met's understanding of all of this, namely uh, that their job is otherwise than gathering evidence. So, um, you know, they're, they're not the Crown Prosecution Service. It's not their job to assess evidence and bring a prosecution. They sit before that in the process. Their job is to gather evidence and put it before the CPS. And the CPS decides whether or not a prosecution should be brought. So they seem to be um, completely abrogating the role that the justice system, the criminal justice system, gives to them. And then, you know, if all of that wasn't bad enough, the reality um, of the excuses that the Met uh, have given for not investigating strike profoundly, at least as I see them, uh, um, the notion of equality before the law. If you look at um, uh, the old Bailey, there's this great big gilded statue on top. Uh, the statue is of um, Lady Justice. She's holding a sword to indicate the sort of magnificence of the law uh, and scales to indicate that the law applies equally to everybody. And lots of other depictions of Lady Justice show her um, blindfolded. Um, she does not care. She does not know who is before her. She applies the law equally to everybody. But um, the position that the Met is taking is extraordinary. So the Met say uh, that because the Prime Minister's um, subordinate is carrying out an investigation, they, the Met, don't need to. But imagine if the Met knocked at your door um, Mr. Jones, um, it's been reported to us that you committed a criminal offence uh, and we need to ask you some questions. Imagine if you said to them, uh, don't worry, um, one of my interns is uh, carrying out an independent investigation to the matters that you put before me, so you don't need to take an interest. My intern will report uh, to me and I'll report to you in due course and then if the answer is uh, that my my intern thinks I did commit a criminal offence, uh, you can take action. I mean, the Met would um, laugh at you uh, and they'd be right to laugh at you. So I don't understand how the Met can think that the involvement of Sue Gray um, gives them an excuse not to investigate. And the other answer that the Met have given to us um, is almost um, worse uh, the Met say, well, we've spoken to number 10, and number 10 assure us that no rules were broken, so we're not going to investigate. Um, same uh, hypothesis again. The Met knock at your door. Mr. Jones, we think you may have committed a criminal offence. We'd like to ask you some questions. We'd like to look in your wardrobe to see if there's any stolen goods there. Don't worry, officer. I can assure you no rules were broken. You do not need to investigate. All right, says Plod, and, 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 and off he trots. I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. And, and it's sort of, it's worse than bizarre, really, because um, what we're seeing is um, the application of one law, 
one regime to those who are influential, who are powerful, who are running the country, a different regime to the regime that applies to everyone else. And that's the point, really. It's the same point as in the VIP lane. And it's also, bizarrely, um, the same point as in another strand of work that Google Project's working on at the moment, which is Clause 9 of the Nationality and Immigration Bill, where uh, government is creating a separate legal regime for uh, those who have uh, dual citizenship, or may have dual citizenship, so their citizenship is contingent. And um, everywhere you look, you seem to find this institutionalization of privilege for the powerful. Jolyon, that was a real masterclass. Um, obviously, if I was accused of criminal offence, I would just blame Melly Mayer Hagen, and I think that would be pretty convincing. Um, but that was that was a masterclass, which, again, this just shows how critical the Good Law Project in terms of the work that you've done, because what what you are doing is challenging the very these, these huge inequities, which, as you know, much of the media has ignored. Uh, you've you've, you've ploughed on regardless. Uh, you've taken the government to, through the courts and you've won and you've exposed uh, these horrific injustices. Fingers crossed with the Metropolitan Police, you have similar success because, again, what we see here is the Metropolitan Police coming down, crashing down on the backs, often in the most disproportionate way, of some of their their usual targets, if we're honest, whilst washing their hands of any investigation of those, the way the people at the top have behaved who designed the rules. Um, but that was brilliant. So well it, it, um, explained. People, it, it, what everyone must do, if you're watching this or listening to this, go and support the Good Law Project. I think if you just Google Good Law Project support, is that right? Goodlawproject.org. Yeah, good law, but yeah, but I mean, in terms of yeah, just go to goodlawproject.org and then and just get whatever you can, everyone, because their work does depend on the support of ordinary people, um, whether it be fighting for trans rights or taking on the British government. So, thank you so much, Joe. Honestly, that was brilliant, and I will speak to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Owen. Bye for now. Um, before bringing in Ellie, uh, usual housekeeping do click through if you're watching live, click on the YouTube link. Uh, press like. Good for the algorithm. Come on, get the algorithm going. Uh, press subscribe so you can get just know when these videos are happening. Handy. Uh, do support us on patreon.com forward slash Owen Jones 84. I am in Barcelona, so we're not doing documentaries this month, but we will be doing way more of them because of your uh, support. That's why we've done all the documentaries we've done. Uh, but also, you super chat. I'm going to go through the super chats with your questions, and I will read through them at the end. And also download our podcast. Woo! Right, I'm going to bring in Ellie Mayhagen, who I've left waiting. Hi, Ellie. Come on in. Come in. The water's warm. Hello. Hi. I like your snazzy little sort of... Nice. People, what are these? Yeah, people. Uh, what these little things. Describe what they are for people who might be listening on the podcast. They're just a, oh, I have like a glasses chain, but it's made out of fabric and it's stripy. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Pfizer Shaheen about this today and I, I contend that I look like an old lady, but she says I look like an intellectual. So I'll take her, her uh, position on that. I think you've her. always got a lot of intellectual gravitas, whether you're wearing glasses or not. Now, Ellie, what are you doing Thanks. first? Don't, don't <laughs> can, we just, can we just discuss um, briefly, I just want to know, uh, soaking the chips of the Good Law Project in bodily fluids. 
Yeah. I just want to note that that happened. That sentence yep. left your mouth. <laughs> yeah, why not? Just register it. Yeah, fine. Move on. What's, <laughs> what's your issue? Yeah, say what you see. Yeah, that's what I said. Anything else? What, do you want to have a fight about it? Do you want to fight me? No. <laughs> we, can, we can have a massive fight right now, right here, if you don't well, like I'm mine. I'm in London, and you're, you're in Barcelona. I could come to Barcelona. Come to Barcelona, we'll have a fight in the streets. Not after 1am because of the curfew. And we've got <laughs> okay. to abide by the rules. At 12.30, we'll go to town. Yeah, we'll go to town and then get arrested for breaking the COVID rules. And then everyone will be like, you're a massive hypocrite doing a big show about Boris Johnson breaking the rules. Then you went to Barcelona and broke the rules. Yeah, but maybe it'll be worth it. Maybe it'd be worth it. Let me just go through the chain of events, because we're going to talk. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, let's just talk about what. Just because we're being gaslit by Boris Johnson, which is kind of annoying, really. So, firstly, what he did, right, is Boris Johnson denying there were any parties. He said there wasn't any. What are you all talking about? Um, and then what he did is he said if there were any parties, uh, then no one broke the rules. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, all the guidelines were observed, continue to be observed, and what I can also tell you is that we're getting on with the job. You lying little f- um, So there we are. There's Boris Johnson. <laughs> that was December. Then what he said, because then he, oh, he was, f- he was furious when he found out what was going on in his garden, in the house he lives in, and going on in the house he lives in and in the garden. So uh, he went to the House of Commons last December when this was all kicking off.com and he threw Allegra Stratton under a bus. Mr. Speaker, may I begin by saying that I understand and share the anger up and down the country at seeing number 10 staff seeming to make light of lockdown measures. And I can understand how infuriating it must be to think that the people who have been setting the rules have not been following the rules, Mr Speaker, because I was also furious to see that clip. Sorry, it's just so weird. I can't even. Um, so, yeah, he did that last December. So then, obviously, it turned out Dominic Cummings, who's obviously trying to bring the Prime Minister down, we'll talk about that, um, who then focused on, uh, brought up this other party, which took place on the 20th of May, which Boris Johnson went to, with Carrie Simmons, who apparently had a glass of gin in her hands. This is what he said to the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, I want to apologise. I know that millions of people across this country have made extraordinary sacrifices over the last 18 months. I know the anguish that they have been through, unable to mourn their relatives, unable to live their lives as they want or to do the things they love. And I know the rage they feel with me and with the government I lead when they think that in Downing Street itself the rules are not being properly followed by the people who make the rules. And though I cannot anticipate the conclusions of the current inquiry. I'm just stopping here, it's too annoying. I'm sorry, it was just I just got too annoyed. So we just just When it started, own. I literally was like I just it's too much. It's too much. What I'm gonna start with, and I'll just put the last clip, not Boris Johnson. Oh, I'll just, I'm just gonna treat everyone. Everyone's blood pressure is just gonna go in the very beginning. We'll bring it down because I wanna go we're gonna start with what I started the, the show with. This is what um let's just listen to what Joe Gibbs Mog said. <laughs> sorry everyone, I'm really sorry about this. Now one cannot hear these stories without grieving for people who suffered. And this was something, decisions that were taken at the beginning of the pandemic that affected people up and down the country, and they were very hard. And we must consider, as this goes to an inquiry, 
and we look into what happened with COVID, whether all those regulations were proportionate or whether it was too hard on people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. They're new to... Sorry, you shouldn't laugh. You shouldn't laugh. This is very serious. Um, so his new tack is to go, well, actually, well, maybe he did break the rules, but the rules were pretty bad. They were quite intense. Could you expect us? It was difficult to abide, but they were too harsh. Now, that might be all well and good to have a little retrospective debate about the rules the government the government drew up and the government imposed on the British population. Not a bit late for the 100,000 people who, had, who got fined and the working class people and disproportionately black people who got obviously charged and faced criminal prosecution for breaking those rules. Well, I mean, we'll just get, let's just go through it, because that's what this really shows, doesn't it? I mean, it, it really just it's, it's a, it exposes how the British state works, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, but you don't even, like, of, of, of course uh, that, you know, the, uh, the police disproportionately target black people. We know that. We know that you're, is it nine times more likely to be stopped and searched if you're black? So we know it that. Depends on, depends on the police force, but, yeah, in, in, but, in London. Yeah, but you don't even need to go that far. You don't even need to talk about that, because... In the in this government, Neil Ferguson also got fired. You know, you, like you don't even have to talk about this as a social justice issue, which it is. You can just stop at talking about what happens within the government because even that is crazy. Because Neil Ferguson got fired around the same time for seeing his partner in what would now be seen as a support bubble, which has subsequently become okay to do in lockdowns. I mean, he wasn't reinstated, and then the. Scottish health secretary went to her second home with her immediate family and she had to step down. So chief, chief medical officer in Scotland. Yeah. Yes. So it's not, you know, be, before you even start talking about what it means for wider society, like it's already crazy. <laughs> and I think, you know, we've got to remember as well what that time was like, because I sometimes look Back, I mean, I did think that the, some of the rules were bananas at that time. You know, when you had like Derbyshire police following walkers around with drones being like, we're watching you. And like the park benches getting taped up, you know, that children's was- Children's playgrounds, was, children's playgrounds. Yeah, playgrounds like up. that was clearly, that was clearly wrong because, um, you know, it, it, it sort of stopped people from being outdoors where, the, where it's actually safer. But, you know, I think we should remember that at that time, it was like everyone I know was following lockdown. I had friends who had like sores all over their hands from washing their hands and singing happy birthday all the time. You know what I mean? And like, even like, I remember going on a bike ride for my daily exercise and like cycling past a friend's house and knocking on his door and speaking to him like several meters away for like five minutes during that lockdown outside like more than two meters and then being a bit worried that I'd broken lockdown. You know, it was like, so I think if he'd have done it now, like, or, you know, when there was tier three regulations or even in the winter lockdown, which was a bit less draconian, the schools were open out. There was much more flexibility around being outdoors with other people. It might be less outrageous, but I think, the difference between how we were all living. I mean, I did feel a bit like very policed in that time. When I went for a run around the park, you know, there's police horses everywhere making sure that you don't sit down. Well, I remember going for a run down the canal where I live and, you know, end up London fields and 
I remember because it was very sunny, wasn't it? The first lockdown. Yeah, in, yeah, thank God. In, in London and large parts of Britain. Um, and just people who were just sitting there having actually gone for a run being removed by the police. And the, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing a woman sunbathe and she got the police came over to her and made her go away. It, I mean, um, it wasn't. It was literally illegal to sunbathe. If we're just going to go, and yeah. yeah, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? Because the clap, you know, you did have. I said it was a very sunny time. You know, if you were middle class and you had a garden, you could go up. You know, just you could sunbathe in your garden. If you're someone living in a tower block with three kids, no outdoor space, not a fun experience, I would yeah. say. For lots of, eight million people is, who live alone. Yeah, and this is this is it. This is where it does become. Then when we start talking about where it does become a social issue, it was horribly unfair to people living alone who weren't even allowed to support form a support bubble and then of course it's going to when you introduce draconian legislation that um that gives the police a lot of power of course that's going to impact minorities particularly young black men in place in places like london the most because they're already at the mercy of like a a police system that I think is pretty rotten. Yeah, because if if the existing state apparatus disproportionately clamps down on black people, working class people, poor people, there was evidence in Scotland, for example, where I've forgotten exactly by what order, but poorest communities were far more likely to have fines issued uh, than in than in middle class uh, communities, and and so if you hand so if the existing state is already classist and racist. If you then grant more powers, then by definition, those powers are going to be literally imposed through the same racist prism. They're just heightened because there's less civil liberties. Exactly. I think you're just giving the police free reign to do what they're currently doing even more. And, you know, in terms of what, like, Jacob... Actually, I actually agree with Jacob Rees-Mogg that the rules were too harsh in the first lockdown and that they were, it was sort of prioritising policing behaviour over... Um, actually doing what's safe. There was no like scientific basis behind stopping a woman from eating a sandwich alone in her car, obviously. And, 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 and at a time when, I mean, we've all, you know, people on the left have argued all the way through that if <laughs> introduce a proper statutory sick pay, people can live on because at the moment people don't self-hide. So people were going to work, obviously, at the time. They were going to work on mass in often badly ventilated offices or schools because we didn't ventilate them and still haven't. Uh, and we didn't have statutory sick pay and still it's one of the lowest in the Western world. So you got people driven to the w- workplaces, which were often unsafe, but then told they couldn't sit outside in a park. But it's well, all yeah. well and good, isn't it? That's the point. It's all well and good because the government drew the rules up and actually, you know, and it was difficult for us a lot on the left to talk about this, or mostly on the left, because our view was lockdown as a general thing was imposed too late. So then if we started going... You know, we should have spoken more about these injustices. I did. I mean, we did actually. It's forgotten about. Um, but, but I mean, but I mean, that is a point, isn't it? That, that the point is, Jacob Rees-Mogg's point is, you know, they're doing what they did over Owen Patterson, basically. You, you know, in in a sense, yeah, that, where someone yeah. breaks the rules and then they're like, well, maybe the rules are the problem, but like maybe they are, but it, how convenient. And I think. You know, I think for me, it's not so. It's it's not that I think any of them have put people in danger because they probably were all working together. I mean, I think you know there probably was more of a presence in Parliament of like people working together because it was a crisis, and you know. So I don't. I sort of think they weren't putting people in danger. It's just like Ed Miliband said it on um, a Sky interview. He said, you know, he wanted to become prime minister. So speaking as someone who like was thinking about what he would do 
if he was prime minister, he said that he couldn't fathom the arrogance of, of it. And, that, and I think that's, that's what I struggle with. It's actually not about whether they endangered people. Um, yeah. And it's not about thinking that the rules like were justified. Um, I mean, some of them were, but some of them weren't. It's actually just like, it's the arrogance. Like I get, you know, like I'm, you know, occasionally, not anymore because it's not really a lockdown, but occasionally like in the past, I've been like asked to do something that doesn't follow the rules. And I'll have a meltdown about like, but I can't because the right wing press, like this is the prime minister. It's like. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I just can't. I mean, and what worries me is the impression that Boris Johnson and his the people around him have that that they can do this and get away with it that isn't something that they're making up that's something they've they've come to that conclusion because they've been shown that they're right and exactly. that's the problem i mean that's i mean it's been it's been much discussed but i mean i'll just give you a, a little clip this is a woman in northern ireland who one of many obviously whose relatives died and couldn't be with the relatives at the last moment we respected the rules we understood the rules were there, they were there to be obeyed and we, we we did what we were told and we stayed away from our mother and she was on her own alone when she died and she didn't have any of us with her. It was bring your own booze and I can't get those words out of my head today, bring your own booze, <laughs> as we did what we were told, stayed away from our mother and family was everything to mummy, it was, her whole life was about her family. And we weren't allowed to be there to support her, to be with her, to hug her, to kiss her, to hold her hand, nothing. And meanwhile, the party was going on strong in Downing Street. And I'm just disgusted with, with Boris Johnson and whoever else was at that party. I'm just, I'm angry and I feel betrayed. I feel let down. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I, I watched two relatives buried on Zoom and I'm not going to try and take too much kind of like you know pity me because people had you know people relatives who were much closer to them who who they couldn't be with in their final moments but in terms of we're going to talk about we are there's people i can see on the super chat which i'll come on to who want to know about the politics of this in terms of who's trying to get rid of boris johnson which we will talk about but before we come on to that you know that's why this has cut through this has cut through people are genuinely angry i can see we've lost ellie there she's sort of vanish she'll be back she's been she's been thrown out by the security services it's just me by myself so while we're waiting for ellie to return which she will um 
In terms of, let's just look at some of the polling in terms of, obviously, this is... A, oh, before we do, actually, I can see Ellie back. Ellie, Ellie has returned. Sorry, I don't know what that was. No, it's just you walking out with me again. <laughs> um, I've had another listen. I did forget, actually, I should have shown the number 10 email, so I keep meaning to do this. The number 10 email, which makes it clear, not only it's a social event because it's bring your own booze, but it actually says, um, official, you know, it... it it's official secretive. Uh, wait a minute. Ah, oh, yeah. Official sensitive, sorry. I was trying to peer onto my screen. The, the point is they were trying to cover it up. Let's be clear about it. In terms of the uh, polling, that's what I wanted to show, because that's why this is cut through, because people suffered, and that's why they're angry. So if we look at voting intention, YouGov, uh, the Tories have collapsed. It's a 10-point lead. Now, you can see, we'll talk about Labour a little bit at the end, Labour haven't actually really gone up there. So the Tories have just imploded elsewhere. And the polling underneath that shows a lot of those Tories have gone to don't know and not voting for now. If we look at the polling, uh, obviously, Boris Johnson now is on uh, minus 36. Keir Starmer's on minus 18. And Rishi Sunak is on minus 6. Before we talk about who's trying to get rid of Boris Johnson, is he... F-U-C-K-E-D. Is, do you think this is actually it? Because obviously the traditional thing with Boris Johnson is he defies political gravity, the usual, you know, he's, he's I mean, he's just a walking scandal. The Tory MPs, who, you know, I guess why I'm asking if you think he's gone is, do you think now the public, including the people who did a certain demographic he did win over, do you think they're like, he's toxic now? And do you think the Tory MPs who put him there knowing that this person was completely unsuitable for high office, but were desperate to see off Jeremy Corbyn and Nigel Farage at the time. That's why they put him there, even though they thought he was a liar and a cheat and, you know, a despicable human being, a lot of them. They put him there, knowing who he was. Have they now decided he served his purpose? We got rid of Corbyn. We got rid of, Far uh, we got rid of Farage. Uh, we got Brexit done. What do you think? Is he over? Or is actually, do you think he would just actually manage to climb out of this one? Okay, so there's a number of things here. So That's I think the, fir the first thing is, so when we talk about what happened with Jeremy Corbyn in 2019, a lot of people sort of say that the media and the establishment managed to turn people against Jeremy Corbyn. I think actually that's not quite true. I think what happened was the sort of media infrastructure of this country combined with the political infrastructure managed to create an environment where saying that you thought Jeremy Corbyn was a Wally is how you showed that you were a sensible person. That was like signaling your good judgment is like, oh, I'd never vote for that guy. It's not really that they didn't like him. They really didn't know. You know, I'm sure you experienced this on doorsteps when you asked people, do you like Corbyn? And they would go, oh, no. And then you'd say, well, why? And then they wouldn't really know why. Like, you know, so it's not. So I don't think it's that they disliked him. I think it's just that this atmosphere had been created where that's what you say to show that you have sensible mm -hmm. political judgment. And I think the same thing is starting to happen with Boris Johnson, when I look at like, when I think of family members, and I think of my friends who are not political, you know, I have uh, people in my life who for the first time are sharing political memes on Facebook, and, um, you know, are messaging me about Boris Johnson. And, you know, I feel liberated to say Boris Johnson's a wanker to anybody and think that they'll either be like, yeah, or if they don't think that, they'll just keep quiet because they don't want to admit it. And I think that's quite interesting because, you know, I think he's 
the myth of Boris Johnson's popularity, I ne- I'm, the polls have never shown that he's like particularly popular. He tends to be, he's very polarizing. So people who love him, love him, and people who hate him, like really hate him. Another similarity as with Corbyn, the, that's where the similarities end. I'm not doing the centrist thing of saying everyone who isn't centrism is the same. Um, but I think, uh, I think what he had, did have was not um, popularity, but like that Teflon quality. You know, in the same way as like um, Trump has, which is, uh, we've talked about this before, the honest liar. So people did kind of know what they were getting with him, but there was a certain sort of brazenness to him that made it feel honest, you know, mm-hmm. that his lying was honest because it sort of came with the package. And something about that has broken down um, over the last, I mean, year, but particularly the last few months, as that has sort of broken down. It feels a bit like an Emperor's New Clothes moment. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering, and the media also, like, the media, like, there's some great journalists, obviously, but the, the media is a bit group thinking in this country. And like when a, when there's a narrative arc that goes through the media, they all kind of follow it. You know? Well, on that, Adam Bienkov, he's he's a brilliant journalist. He used to be actually a, a lobby journalist. That, well, is he still a lobby journalist? Well, he's, anyway, he's a brilliant journalist. But a lobby journalist, for those who don't know, is those based in Westminster. It's their job to obviously be there amongst all the politicians. And, and he wrote this piece where he talked about essentially, you know, back then when he became prime minister, his actual performance as mayor was barely scrutinised by the British press or broadcasters, with almost all discussion focusing on his personal ambitions and rivalry with the then prime minister, David Cameron. Uh, So when he re-entered politics in Westminster, the focus remained on those personal ambitions. His poor performance as foreign secretary barely touched upon. Um, The result, he was swept into a position where it's abundantly clear, even to many supporters, that he's entirely unsuitable for. But as he says, if Johnson's ousted as Prime Minister by the same parts of the press that just two years ago lauded him as Britain's saviour, then questions need to be asked about exactly how and why this was all allowed to happen. And that is the point. The, the British media are, are actually at the moment doing their job. I mean, I know you said not all journalists, and you're right, there's some great journalists, but collectively there's been a terrible failure. Most of the press obviously yeah. support the Conservatives. But now they're doing it. It's almost like they, a, swi- a, flick is, a switch has been flicked. Do you remember he did that weird rambling speech about Peppa Pig the other week? He's always yeah, done yeah. speeches like that. He's always done speeches like that. But all of a sudden, the media were like, oh, falling apart. Ooh. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, there's a, a famous, there's a, a sort of semi-famous anecdote of, I think it's, uh, what's his name? Jer- the He's on Channel 5, and he's also got a Radio 2 show, Jeremy Wright. Jeremy Vine! So I'm Jeremy a Jeremy Vine regular. I, I uh, forgot a legend Ooh. then. Um, I, I, I really like Jeremy Vine. He's got this anecdote, you've probably read it, about like he went to a Boris award ceremony, yeah, and Boris gave this extremely rambling speech as though he was forgetting what he was doing and he didn't really know where he was. And then the next day he came and did exactly the same thing. So it's like clearly part of his calculated persona. And, you know, I actually know someone who used to work for him and she told me that he would like ruffle up his hair and be like before he goes on to sort of get himself into the character of Boris Johnson. And I think like the media, because like, I just, the media in this country is just so, I mean, that's for another show, but I just think they were sort of- There's no boot uh, they won't lick if it's on the leg of someone with power. Yeah. <laughs> not all journalists. Um, not if that get. person it happens to be left wing though, then they actually no. do their jobs and then some. Um, but yeah, like, um, like- Or a refugee or an immigrant or a Muslim yeah, or a trans yeah. person. Then yeah. all of a sudden, yeah, sort of holding people accountable and also making up a bunch of stuff about them. 
is you know what they want to do um yeah so and i think um uh what was i saying oh yeah i think they were just dazzled by like you know the sight of him wearing bermuda shorts on his first day as london mayor or when he got stuck on that zip wire and he was like had those union jacks and you know all this stuff was happening like garden bridge i mean whatever happened he never faced any consequences for garden bridge uh there was like boris airport that he was uh yeah, you know well. looking into at one time there's the cable car debacle in london and for those non-londoners um you should read about this basically london has a cable car which is part of its uh public transport network that um is like very very high up and goes over a certain part of the thames and i read an article about it was it was sort of sold as a commuter thing and i read an article that said it's something like I can't, okay i might be exaggerating so do google this but it's something like nine people use it to commute so it's like a total failure a total waste of public money the garden bridge is like and for non-londoners the garden bridge is like a bridge that was going to go from i guess like guy's hospital to westminster quite literally um, a big car yeah and it basically you know have lots of like verdant trees and whatever i mean nice idea but like when you've got so much poverty in your city maybe you don't want to spend money on that and i think like he was approached by a celebrity who wanted him to do it as well and so you know i think that kind of i mean where is the scrutiny of all of that like what ha what happened there we still don't really know so yeah he's just been getting away with this for years and then there's the the um incident with him and that journalist that he um sort of seemed to collude in getting a journalist beaten up yeah but and still you kind of think because you know you'd kind of think a lot of journalists might think oh he wanted to beat up one of our own turns out not just quickly though because i want to talk about the politics finally about of, of the people after him i should just know it's quite funny uh, a senior Tory MP texted a journalist, why does Boris need to isolate unless he himself has tested positive? He's had all his vaccinations, or does he not understand the rules again? That's because Boris Johnson's cancelled a trip because someone in his household uh, has got COVID, supposedly. I don't believe anything Boris Johnson says. Uh, I would not be... I mean, I, people go, oh, conspiratorial, tinfoil hat. Literally do not believe anything this man says. Um, but anyway, it's just not very convenient. He can just cancel all public appearances. Let's just talk about, so Rishi Sunak did this tweet, which is really funny. He's, I've been on a visit all day today, continuing work on our plan for jobs, as well as meeting MPs to discuss the energy situation, to discuss the energy situation. That's what he's talking about. Anyway, the PM was right to apologize and I support his request for patience while Sue Gray carries out her inquiry. Now, okay, the people, the, the thing about Boris Johnson, as I said, he was seen as someone who is not suitable for high office, but he had a purpose because the Tories were genuinely scared of Jeremy Corbyn becoming Prime Minister, however much history is that rewritten on that topic. They also thought losing support to the Brexit party was one way that would happen. And uh, they thought there were an existential crisis over Brexit. And, uh, you know, like the Corn Laws in the 19th century, which divided the Conservatives at the time. Um, and uh, so he won an 80-seat majority. Uh, he got Brexit done. Um, but it's not just they thought he's unsuitable. They don't really think he's a proper Tory, actually. They think he's too left-wing on the economy because he didn't do the Osborne, Cameron, slash and burn the states. And I have to say, a lot of the Tory Remainers, by the way, I know people are like, oh, they love the EU, so they must be progressive. A lot of them were to the right on the economy and they hated Boris Johnson, partly because he wasn't in the whole slash the welfare state, supposedly 
from Boris Johnson's perspective to the, to the ground and massive cuts, instead doing strategic investment in a very Tory way to shore up their new voter coalition. But nonetheless, it's not slash and burn economics. That isn't what he's done. Uh, he's increasing corporation tax, which defies traditional Tory ideology, increasing national insurance tax aggressively done we won't go into that um but also a lot of them thought he was wrong to lock down at all i mean rishi sunak brought in um lockdown skeptics over the, the autumn of 2020 uh, to try and avoid a second lockdown so isn't the danger because do you remember people all cock a hoop over theresa may's government falling to bits i wonder how we look back at that now because obviously theresa may falling doesn't mean the conservatives fall in that case something worse came along and the rule, golden rule of British politics over the last few years is, however bad you think things currently are, things could get a lot worse. And, 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 and of course, that has been the, the history of the last few years. Is it possible a lot of the people behind this, Dominic Cummings being one of them, actually think, though his politics are bizarre, actually think, Boris Johnson's too left-wing. They think he's, and it sounds ludicrous to a lot of people watching and listening to this, they think he's too left-wing on the economy. So actually, what we'll end up with, potentially, is someone like Rishi Sunak. Now, whether that can shore up the so-called red wall, because those voters are not right-wing on the economy, which Boris Johnson has kind of understood, but will they do slash and burn economics? Will it just go back to all of that? What do you think? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, first of all, there's questions that need to be asked about why this is being all being leaked in one big dump, apparently. See, that's what it seems to be like. Um, well, it's, it's kind of... It, Drip, 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 really, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, like, it's all come out drip, 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 sort of quite quickly, um, a, like, 18 months after it happened. And, you know, I think we've also seen the leaks about Liz Truss's, like, thousand-pound lunches as well, that as soon as she was rumoured uh, to be putting her hat into the ring of um, Tory leader, that all of a sudden all of this stuff uh, came out about her. And I think, uh, you know, a question that we need to ask is, like, why is all of this coming out now and who is benefiting? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I've heard it's people that vote leave who are unhappy with Johnson, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and a lot of them, um, though, are switching to don't know rather than to Labour. Yeah, no, I mean, like, um, the people who leave, who leave, I've heard that there's people who, like, are in the kind of original vote leave coterie who are unhappy with Boris Johnson, that it's possibly them who leaked it. But I, just to be clear to your viewers, I don't know anything about Tory in like internal politics i know very little about that so so that's speculation but like yeah so i think we need to sort of say who who is doing this and what are they hoping to get out of it but you know i think um if i was rishi sunak i would who i think is almost certainly going to be the next tory leader if johnson goes and the yougov parliamentary member suggests that ahead of liz Truss and a lot of headline but also indicators when people ask who do you think do you think this person would be better than Boris Johnson taking on Labour or worse and Rishi Sunak has a really big lead over Liz Truss amongst Tory members on that yeah so I think it's you know very likely and if I was him um I would uh call a snap election which I know is dodgy given that they're 10 points behind but he will have a big honeymoon period because the press like him anyway He's done he'll a really the good... I bet he'll scrap the national insurance hikes yeah, he'll he'll um, be like, I'm the guy that did furlough. He'll probably do some campaign videos where he hangs out with people who um, who were furloughed and like it saved their jobs, you know. So he'll be like Mr. Business. 
you know, he'll meet some I businesses. Bet some gullible liberals be like, come on, some of those gullible liberals. Who, to be honest, not all liberals. Some liberals are fine, but there are certain types <laughs> of lib- there are certain types of liberals who. For them, politics is not really, it's more of a vibe. Like, they were all like, there was a certain chunk of them, like, Jeremy Corbyn is a Brexiteer, we hate him, he's a Brexiteer. And then when Rory Stewart, who supported Theresa May's deal, came along, they were like, oh, Rory Stewart, we love you, you're always like a, it's like, um, who did Love Actually again? Who was behind it? Love Actually. Uh, Richard Curtis. It was a Richard Curtis film. Because <laughs> they live in a Richard <laughs> Curtis film, a lot of these liberals. So you get this nice little <laughs> posho who comes up, and Richard Stewart, they're like, oh, he's, He's like, he's a really right-wing person who campaigned for Brexit, but they love him. Yeah, so, I think they could yeah. be like that about Sunak as well. I mean, it depends on kind of how... Well, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they didn't, like, the, the kind of very middle-class liberals that you're talking about generally don't care that much about austerity. I mean, they, the fact that they, like, romanticised 2012 as, like, a wonderful time in politics. I was working in Tower Hamlets in 2012, and I had people come to, the, I was working as someone who like, I helped people with like benefit claims. I wasn't giving them advice. I was just trying to give them help. And um, I had people come into the place that I worked and they were like carried in because they had disabilities or like injuries that were so bad that they couldn't walk and they'd have their benefits cut, you know? So like, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But basically like, I think, you know, he'll get a big honeymoon period from the press who already quite like him. And I think he's distanced himself sufficiently from Boris Johnson mm-hmm. um, so that um, so he, they won't be able to really pin all of this stuff on him. Um, he'll run on. He'll cut the national insurance rises. He'll talk about how much he did furlough. He'll have all of these like campaign videos, like the ones that he, he's been doing. And Labour is not in a state where it can if there's an election called tomorrow, I mean, there won't be, but you know what I mean? In the next like month, say, um, Labour, or even in the next three months, Labour's not in a state where it can uh, fight an election right now. First of all, it doesn't have any staff. Um, And second of all, like, I mean, we'll get onto this, but Keir Starmer still hasn't decided Mm -hmm. like what Labour is. Well, just just finally, because I need to wrap up shortly, largely because I've just realised, People know I'm in Barcelona writing this book, but I'm, I'm actually interviewing someone very shortly. I've just realised for the book, it, I'm juggling. It's fine, but just let me wrap up quickly with this because this is really important. Because as I've said, just quickly in terms of super chat, people saying Tad Campwell, it's probably simple fantasy, but could the fines for non-compliance be challenged in the courts if the PM and Co are not charged as well? I wrote a column about this, which has just gone up actually, saying we should have an amnesty. Kieran Buckley, Johnson definitely should be removed, but I'm more terrified of Rishi Sunak being Prime Minister. Well, that's what Rishi, I think. Rishi and I'm Sunak. also... I'm also... Quickly on that, Ed Jarvis also says, what does it say about society, the hills are going to die? Who will replace him? What's with Mog's media rounds gross? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But just quickly on that, because you mentioned uh, Starman, I'm worried about running out of time. Uh, I mean, his favourability... Because some people now, some of the Starman people are like, oh, vindicated, 10 points ahead. Starman's approval ratings are terrible. I mean, he's on uh, minus 24 at the moment. Um, he's preferred to Johnson, but I mean, you know, a cholera is preferred to Johnson <laughs> right now. Um, so probably COVID is, so that's probably a bit much. Um, but you know, I, I mean, so just quickly on that, because I realise I've got to wrap up. So yeah, I mean, do you think, because as I say, we, we both think actually, I think some very right-wing elements could be behind this and actually we could end up with something worse. Um, but also, do you think, you know, Keir Starmer's made the dividing line, his team with the Tories over competence, with this blob who's technically Prime Minister at the moment. That kind of works. Doesn't work with Rishi Sunak. 
you need a yeah, vision. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's twofold. I worry a lot about Rishi Sunak's politics. I think he's a real free marketeer. Interestingly, he was brought in as chancellor because he was an ally of Dominic Cummings. So that's interesting. Yes, he how is. That's all changed. He was seen as really inexperienced. We still but, close um, Dominic Cummings. Cummings. They're still close. I think that's a key part of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe Dominic Cummings will be back in Downing Street again. So then you'll have like, you might have, if Dominic Cummings is back, someone that like uses uh, social issues like trans rights to, uh, you know, create divisions. Um, you know, you probably will have the sort of horrible social policies of this government, but also like austerity measures as well, which is definitely worse. But I think you'll also have someone who is not associated with this sort of sleaze that we're seeing, corruption, et cetera, that we're seeing now. Um, someone who is more popular. So essentially somebody who is more likely to keep the Tories in power. But would Redwall vote? I mean, this is interesting. Maybe if he did it, maybe if he had an election sooner, as you're suggesting, then he could hide his Thatcher ideology until after the election. Because a lot of Red Wall supporters, even though they tend, the people who they won over the Tories, to be older white homeowners, it's more complicated than people to say this is, they won over working class voters, young working class voters overwhelmingly vote for the Labour Party, including in those seats. But amongst old, you know, they're not economically right wing. They're socially conservative. So I just wonder, could he keep that coalition together? That's what Tory MPs are worried about. They're worried neither him or Liz Truss have the cut through in those seats. But then there has been a long-term trend, Theresa May, you know, there was a trend in those seats towards the Tories under Theresa May. So, we, I mean, it's, it's complicated, but I think... Yeah, you know, but both... he could run, I think he could run on furlough. I get, I did furlough and I'm getting rid of the national insurance hikes that, like, tax on you, the ordinary people, like, you know, he could kind of neutralise that. I think there is, a, you know, a wider question. make me do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I think, yeah, the, the, uh, the red wall, because sort of the kind of Tory base and the red wall, I think one thing that's interesting about them is that in the, in the uh, Brexit vote, two million people who normally don't vote came out to vote and they voted leave. They didn't vote in the 2019 election, but they did vote in, sorry, they didn't vote in the 2017 election, but they did vote in 2019. They're the ones that were queuing up at polling stations to vote in Boris Johnson because they knew that he would like they believed him when he said he would get Brexit done. And I'm wondering what they would do if Rishi Sunak was the candidate. That's my, that's, I think that's an open question. But I definitely think that Rishi Sunak's got it in him to beat Keir Starmer in an election. And well, they really would have to offer a vision there, wouldn't they? And they're just not, at the moment, it's just not there. Yeah, so I think, I think um, you know, I, I suppose we're going to end here and I would end with like a quote from Charles Bukowski, which is, if you're going to destroy something, you better make damn sure you've got something better to replace it with. And and as we saw when, you know, we could all look back and rejoice over Theresa May being removed. And then also... Priti Patel became Home Secretary. I mean... And, and not only that, but actually, if we go back to Margaret Thatcher being removed, again, people do celebrate that. But actually, if she'd stayed on, would the Tories have won the 1992 election? Instead, John Major, who was seen as... He, who was the Chancellor, by the way, mm-hmm. seen as dull, not charismatic, grey. He was he had a grey spitting image puppet. Yeah, yeah, I remember. But they still yeah. they did they did win. 
And that is the danger for Labour, isn't it? That you could end up... I mean, we'll see, because I think there's question marks over... I spoke, actually, just quickly, because I can see the person I'm interviewing hasn't logged in yet, so that's why I'm <laughs> striking this out. But um, I spoke to one of Keir Starmer's team a while ago. Um, this was back in 2020, when actually Labour were doing quite well for a while against... You know, Keir Starmer had a kind of popularity bounce. And they thought Rishi Sunak would be a different proposition, because he would go down not well in those red wall seats and i think a lot of Tory mps also think that the same by the way but um he would be more likely to peel off socially liberal um voters which is bizarre as again it just shows how much politics is a vibe for certain people because so they thought places like putney which labor is the only seat labor gained in 2019 on that wonderful night <laughs> yeah, i campaigned there that day i don't want to think about that um yeah but, you know, th those kind of voters who aren't, econo as you said, they're not economically on the left, um, a lot of them at all. So so it'd be interesting because they, you know, it, his view was that's a different coalition. But we'll see because, yeah. you know, the issue with Labour is, you know, they they told a lot. Of, they keep telling them, they've not won over until this point because people are pissed off. Even now they're not winning over new voters. It's mostly Tories going to don't know. They're pissing off. They've pissed off. They said basically in battling spend, we're not interested in our Muslim voters. Like they can do one. Uh, younger voters, they're just not offering anything for, but they're not winning over people. So that's the issue. Can, will Rishi Sinak, could the Tories win because Labour aren't? Um, I mean, yeah, I think he could if he did, if he like leaned into some of the stuff that he's done, you know, that is more economically progressive, like furlough and, you know, uh, he'll cut the NI, I know, I do think he'll cut the NI raises. And I think the other thing about him as well is you've got to remember the Tories have lost two by-elections, the Lib Dems now. I don't think that would happen under Rishi Sunak. I think that's a protest. Like, I think that's uh, those voters in those seats being turned off by Boris Johnson. You're saying that the charismatic leadership of Ed Davey isn't responsible? <laughs> I know, it's hard to believe as it is. I think I am <laughs> suggesting that. Yeah, and um, also I think they're all... Um, there's a lot of Liberal Tories in Scotland, and I think they're all about, you know, they're all expecting to lose all of their seats to the SNP. And, like, whether that would happen under Rishi Sunak. I mean, I don't know as much about um, Scottish politics as, you know, other people that you'll have on the show. But, you know, that, you know, when you've got someone like Ruth Davidson, in, in, who was the former sort of leader of the Scottish Conservatives, it makes me think that maybe Liberal Conservatives do better in Scotland. So On that note... I'd better go and do my interview. It's very rude of me to just like to go, yeah, Ellie, stop. I've invited you on my show. Now shut up. I'm leaving. We're really way rude, past Rudo in. Uh, <laughs> we are I've way past <laughs> The things Ellie's seen. What the hell? Um, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> Ellie, it was a massive, uh, massive honour as ever. Lots of love. We will speak soon. Um, yeah, let's hang I'm out when you're back. We will hang out. We'll get very drunk um, and do all sorts of unpleasant things. Um, <laughs> lots of love and I'll speak oh, to you wait. soon. Uh, see you soon. I want to say quickly because I've got to go quickly. Thanks to Kieran Buckley, Tad Cadwell, Ed Jarvis, David Borita. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Do support us on Super Chat. Uh, Super Chat, you've already done that. Uh, Patreon, we'll do all our stuff. Press like, subscribe, uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday at 12 o'clock. Lots of love, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road. 
uh, forward slash Owen Jones 84 leave us some stars that'd be nice spread the word and I look forward to speaking to you soon planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.